Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. Good morning, afternoon, everybody. Welcome to episode 59 of Calm Words for Anxious Hearts. We are coming off a five-week Lenten series where we have been spending time with some guests who have offered reflections, and I've had a conversation with them, and that has been a really meaningful thing. And so if you've been listening the last five weeks, I want to say thank you, and also to perhaps disappoint you, because today... Well, you're stuck with me. There is no one else. And so if you've been used to that, um, I'm sorry. We'll try and incorporate some more conversations with others in our future episodes. But this is episode 59 of Calm Words for Anxious Hearts. And I'm mindful that this is being released during Holy Week, which is the last week of Jesus's life, the week before the great celebration of Easter. And this reflection I'm offering today is done so with an awareness that soon many people will be returning to Eucharistic worship at St. Michael's, if not this spring, then perhaps this summer or maybe in the fall. And because Holy Week revolves around the last week of Jesus's life, what I thought I'd do today is focus on Jesus's Passover meal with his disciples the night before he died And then to draw some connections between that meal that Jesus shared with his disciples and the communal meal that we all long to share together once again, which we call Holy Eucharist. And to make some connections between that Passover meal Jesus shared with his disciples and the Holy Eucharist that we long to share together and will share together soon. And so let me just start with a brief reading from one of the synoptic gospels that talks about this Passover meal. When the hour for the Passover meal came, Jesus took his place at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Then he took a loaf of bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup and he said, This cup is poured out for you. This is the new covenant in my blood. Here ends the reading. So one of the things I'm present to is that Whenever we do gather as Christians and come to church or whenever we receive communion, if we do that consciously, it takes real courage. Paul even talks about not receiving the body and blood of Jesus in vain, that we are to do so intentionally because it really takes courage if we understand what is happening. Theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said that, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And that is exactly what happens, in a sense, whenever we come forward to receive the consecrated bread. Or if we are participating from home at the moment, the same thing's happening whenever we give ourselves fully to the Lord in a posture of Eucharist or thanksgiving, because 
Ultimately, the word Eucharist comes from the Greek word meaning thanksgiving. We offer our life, we surrender our life in thanksgiving to God, but in surrendering to God, that takes courage because we trust God to do with us what God wills and not what we will. As we say in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. For those of you familiar with Eucharistic Prayer C, we get at some of this in our Eucharistic prayer whenever the priest prays, deliver us from the presumption of coming to this table for solace only and not for strength, for pardon only and not for renewal. And so the point is, communion is not just about feeling good and feeling happy and feeling forgiven, although those things are certainly appropriate, but it's also to have strength, courage, and renewal for what it is that God is going to do in our life. Now, to understand a bit more what I'm talking about, I think that we need to look at what Jesus was doing whenever he instituted the Eucharist, the Sacrament of Holy Communion. And to do that, we have to understand something pretty central to Jesus's first century Palestinian Jewish world, and that, of course, is symbolism, because Jesus' world was steeped in symbols. A symbol, by definition, takes one thing and uses it to say something else. And so to look at a few examples from the Old Testament, the prophet Hosea married a prostitute to symbolize Israel's infidelity. Jeremiah preached while holding a pair of dirty underwear. That was a symbol of Israel's filth from Jeremiah's perspective. Ezekiel was an interesting chap. He cooked a meal over his own excrement. My point is that symbols were very central to Jesus's prophetic Jewish world, and Jesus was very steeped in symbols as a man steeped in Scripture. And so it really shouldn't surprise us at all to discover that symbols were central to Jesus's ministry. After all, there's a reason Jesus chose 12 disciples. It was a symbol for the 12 tribes of Israel being restored in and through his ministry. There is a reason Jesus chose to be baptized. Even though Jesus was sinless, baptism was a symbol for his mission to be numbered among transgressors. There is a reason Jesus prayed in a garden the night before he died. The Garden of Gethsemane was a symbol for Eden, for that which was lost when Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And so Jesus's ministry from beginning to end was very steeped in symbolism. And so it should not surprise us at all to discover that whenever Jesus gathered his disciples around a table at the Passover, Jesus took a piece of bread, broke that bread, and then gave it to his disciples, and that this too wasn't just an efficient way of handing out food. It was a symbol. In fact, this was Jesus's last great symbol before he died. Jesus took bread. Jesus broke bread. Jesus gave bread. And so here's my question. Assuming that this meal was Jesus's last great symbolic act, What is it that Jesus was trying to say? And when Jesus took the bread, broke the bread, gave the bread, what did this taking, this breaking, this giving symbolize? And why does it take courage for us to eat this meal in particular week after week as Jesus told us to do? Now again, 
In asking this question, I'm very sensitive that many of us have not received communion in over a year. I have not received communion since Christmas Eve. But again, the point of what I hope to say remains the same, which is that because a sacrament is an outward and visible sign of an inward spiritual grace, that even when that outward sign and symbol is not a part of our life, that the inner work that it represents is something the Holy Spirit is still doing. And so this is still a very relevant conversation, not just because the work of God doesn't stop in our life, but also because most of us will return to church in the next few months, if not sooner, to receive the sacrament. Okay, so the Last Supper, it happens during Passover. Passover was a Jewish festival that celebrated the Exodus. And if you want to read about the Exodus, it is found in a book of the Old Testament called Exodus. (laughs) And so to unlock the meaning of Jesus' greatest symbol, there's something we need to recall about that first Passover night recorded in the book of Exodus. God told the people of Israel to slaughter a lamb, take its blood, and place it on the doorposts of their home. This blood, God promised, would protect them and save them. Yes, judgment would be passed on the firstborn of Egypt, but those protected by the blood of the lamb would be passed over. That's the idea of Passover. The blood would protect them and save them. They would be passed over from the Lord's judgment. And so this meal, the Passover meal, was a symbol. It was a symbol for what God had done and a symbolic meal that Jews shared year after year. And this symbol was so important that to not celebrate the Passover was basically saying that you had lost hope in God. Why? Because Jews in Jesus' day were praying for a second exodus and for God to bring about a new covenant. In other words, looking back to what God had done, and that's set them free, they now prayed for what God would do, and that set the entire creation free. Now, with that in mind, let's go back to the upper room, to the Last Supper, where Jesus is sharing the Passover with his disciples. Rather than looking back to the first exodus, to the first covenant, Jesus looks forward to a new exodus, to a new covenant that he will bring about. And like in the first Passover, blood will be shed, but it won't be blood of a lamb. It's going to be the blood of the lamb. Like in the first Passover, judgment will take place, but it will not be on the firstborn of Egypt. No, the judgment will fall on the firstborn of God. As Jesus gathers his disciples in that upper room, he tells them once again that blood will be shed, that blood will protect them and save them. This is my blood, he says, given for you. But to emphasize, to hammer home whose blood that must be, how the new covenant's going to come about, Jesus makes use of his last great symbol. And so taking a piece of bread, he says, this is my body given for you. This bread, this is my body. What happens to this bread, the same thing will happen to me. And after saying that, he broke the bread 
and he gave them the bread as food. These symbolic gestures that Jesus gives us when he took the bread, when he broke the bread, when he gave the bread mean at least three things. First, this meal symbolizes what Jesus did for us. Like the bread, Jesus is taken. The Roman authorities take him and nail him to a cross. He's taken by the will of his Father. He's taken by the leading of the Spirit. He's taken by a vision of the kingdom of God and set apart to establish that kingdom here on earth. In his own words, I came not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, Jesus is taken. Second, like the bread, Jesus is broken. His heart is broken by the sin and faithlessness that surround him. His body is broken and bruised as he is nailed to a cross, and his spirit is broken as he cries out to his father only to hear silence in return. Jesus is broken. Third, Jesus is given to the world, given to the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to the end that all who believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God gave his only son to us to bring about the new covenant, to set creation free. Jesus is taken, broken, and given to the world for this very purpose. But friends, that is only half the story because Jesus then gives his disciples the bread and says, eat it, which in Jesus's symbolic world means, may what happens to this bread, may what happens to me, may it happen to you as well. Because if you eat this bread, my story will become your story. My life will become your life. And so take this bread, my broken body given for the world, and swallow it. Do you see now why Christianity takes courage? It takes courage to be a conscious Christian. Because whether we realize it or not, every time we approach God's altar and hold out our hands, or sit at home and say, thy will be done. We accept our mission as the people of God, and in doing so, we pray that what happened to Jesus will happen to us. And being a Christian takes courage, because here's the deal. If we say that prayer with sincerity, God will answer our prayer. First, God will take us. God will take us right where we are. It doesn't matter how sinful we are. It doesn't matter how many shameful secrets we have. It doesn't matter how unworthy we feel. God will take us. Second, God will break us. God will break us of our pride. God will break us of our self-sufficiency. God will break us of our idols, of whatever it is in our life other than him that we think will give meaning and significance to our life. The living Lord that says, take up your cross and follow me, will lay a cross upon our back. And that cross will break us. 
and it will be part of our salvation. And then finally, God will give us to the world as food. And notice, we're not really going to be able to nourish others, to be a source of food for others, unless we allow God to take us and break us first. The Lord who laid down his life for us must teach us to lay down our life for the world, and then we become what St. Paul calls a living sacrifice. And by laying down our life for the world, we will then take our part in God's work to set the whole creation free. You know, someone once told me that what they love about the Episcopal Church is that we don't do altar calls. They were obviously grossly misinformed because at least in normal non-pandemic times in the Episcopal Church we do an altar call every single Sunday and it takes courage to come forward in a conscious and sincere way because in doing so we are not asking people to accept Christ no we're bidding people to come forward and die to be taken, broken, and given to the world as ministers of Christ's new covenant. We're asking for Jesus' story to become our story, for Jesus' life to become our life, for Jesus' death to become our death, and to trust that Jesus' resurrection will also be ours. And so, once again, my friends, thank you for your courage, because persevering in the faith is incredibly brave. And in a sense, that bravery, that willingness to sit and watch and wait and go to the cross with Jesus, that is what Holy Week is all about.